Father, when we find the Lord Jesus, when he finds us, when we respond to him, we're reminded that we discover the greatest treasure. And so, Father, we ask this morning, as we've already prayed, that as we come to your word, we may discover something more of the great treasure that's to be found in Jesus. And that you will awaken our hearts to respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please do sit down. Please, will you turn in your Bibles to the passage that was read, which is Matthew chapter 10. And we're going to pick it up from verse 16. It's on page 975 in the church Bibles. Page 975. This is the last of a short series where we've been looking at Matthew's Gospel or uh, chapters 9 and 10 in Matthew's Gospel and we're going to finish that off this morning. Tell me, do, do, you, do you ever have those moments when you're reading the Bible and something strange happens and so you come across words that are really familiar to you and then you make them mean something else? Do, do, do you ever have Read the Bible that kind of way. I mean, take these words here in chapter 10, um, verse 16. Have a look at them. Two words, sheep and wolves. Jesus says, I'm going to send you out like sheep among wolves. He's talking initially to his 12 disciples who go out to the lost sheep of Israel, but it's quite clear as the passage goes on and as Matthew's gospel unfolds, that this is for us. The church of Jesus Christ is called as the church together to go out on the mission of Jesus, which is to reach people for Christ. I send you out as sheep among wolves. Two words that we know. Sheep. Woolly creatures. Eat grass. Turn into sweaters, jumpers, make barbecues memorable, and wolves, killers. I send you out as, like sheep among wolves. So we know what those two words mean and what happens when sheep and wolves get together. It's lunchtime, isn't it? <laughs> lunchtime for wolves. Wolves are dangerous to sheep. So what Jesus is saying here is I'm sending you into the world and there are wolves there and so it's profoundly dangerous. And as you read the passage, he says there's going to be danger everywhere. You'll find it in the corridors of power. And in fact, on some occasions, you will be dragged before the courts and you will be thrown into prison or even executed because you go into the world with the message of the gospel. It will even affect some families. Families will turn against each other. You'll even get betrayal in families where members of the family are handed over for execution by other members of the family. It will be everywhere. So you'll find persecution in one place because the wolves are active, and you'll need to go somewhere else. 
and it's going to persist. And by the way, this is normal. Everyone, he says, will hate you for my sake, because of me. That is not everyone without exception, but all kinds of people. And it happened to me. You notice how that section ends there on verse 25. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, if they said I was evil, says Jesus, if they oppose me, then it's going to be normal for them to oppose you. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Two words that we know, sheep and wolves. We know what it means. And yet so often I think we don't read the Bible like that, do we? Because when we're thinking about our world, which is Australia, which is Sydney, which is Willoughby, I don't think we think like that. It's as if Jesus said, well, there may be trouble out there. There are certainly some nasty wolves in some parts of the world. But don't worry, in Willoughby, I send you out like sheep among rabbits. <laughs> uh, rabbits are annoying, I know. Those floppy ears can become very distracting and very annoying after a time. And they breed like... So there are a lot of them around. And when you want some sheep time, you may find that you're interrupted by rabbits. But don't worry, they're only rabbits. I think that's how we read the passage. We read it as if it didn't apply to us. I send you out as sheep among rabbits. Jesus did not say that. He said to his followers that includes us, I am sending you out as sheep into a dangerous situation for sheep. Sheep among wolves. So why do we not see Australia and Sydney and Willoughby like that. Katrina and I went to, for a walk on Friday. Um, we went to get some coffee. <laughs> and so I sat there in the coffee place enjoying coffee and I wasn't thinking about dangerous wolves, I have to say. I was just enjoying the coffee and and then we walked into Chatswood and I wasn't thinking, better be careful going around the corner because there might be dangerous wolves that are about to attack me. Why do we not understand these words of I send you as sheep among wolves when it comes to Willoughby? Let me give you some reasons. First one is this, it's complacency. Christianity has had arguably more impact on our society than any other single thing. Not least, it's massively impacted how we do life and the institutions that govern and regulate our life. So family life, law, government, education, have all been massively influenced by Christianity and therefore the wolves in Australia, by and large, have not been particularly vicious. And by the way, that's a good thing. 
That's a really, really good thing. We should praise God for that. And in part, it shows the power of the gospel to bring change. The danger is that it can lead to complacency. The Church of Jesus Christ in Australia and in my own country of birth in the United Kingdom, we have not always been as prophetic, as sharp, and astute in our assessment of our culture. We've been complacent. And when the church of Jesus is complacent, the wolves don't bother about us. So no wonder we don't fear the wolves. Second reason, not just complacency, but what I want to call nominal Christianity, which goes something like this. Being a Christian is about being a good Aussie plus a bit of church. And you can argue about how much church. Because, of course, Christianity has impacted our culture and therefore a lot of the ways in which people have behaved who are good Australians, living the Australian way, are doing the kinds of things that Jesus says we should do. So Christianity is about being a good Australian plus a bit of religion. Just enough religion to make us look as if we're the genuine article, but not so much that it makes any real change to our lives. Nominal Christianity. Wolves don't care about nominal Christians. Complacency. Nominalism. Here's the third one. Civic religion. Civic religion really goes like this. It's where the church pats the country on the head and says, well done, because you're on God's side. <laughs> well done, you're on God's side. And whenever the church does that, unthinkingly and uncritically, the wolves are really happy. Because it makes them feel that to be Australian and to do the kinds of things that Australia does and Australians do is to be on God's side, and he's really pleased with us. And the last one is compromise. That's where we just give up, basically, on our discipleship, and we decide to become like everybody else. Complacency, nominal Christianity, civic Christianity, compromised Christianity, Wolves don't worry about anything like that. See, it's possible to be dangerously wrong. <laughs> dangerously wrong about our world. Dangerously wrong about our culture. The wolves are out there. Even in Sydney. In our society. And when we descend to being nominal Christians or complacent Christians or civic Christians or compromised Christians, no wonder we feel at home here. Christians are called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And that will set us against things that are going on in our society and forces that are at work in our society. I do have some good news for you. If this is a concern to you, let me tell you, it's all going to get an awful lot easier. 
If I read the situation right, nominal Christianity is going to disappear within a very short time. Because as our institutions that have acted as a kind of restraint because of their Christian foundations, as our institutions of education and government and law, as they throw out their Christian foundations, the wolves are going to become much more aggressive. It's going to become much more difficult to be an authentic Christian, much more challenging. I send you a sheep among wolves. You know, there's, there's a, a second thing here, I think, that uh, we just get a bit wrong. <laughs> and it, it's really quite important because it's not just that we get the world wrong, I think we get God wrong sometimes. Badly wrong. I read a book um, a number of years ago by a delightful Christian, and uh, there's a line in the book where she says the safest place to be is at the center of God's will. And there's a sense in which that's true. God will keep us safe. He will look after us, as we'll see later on. But actually, to be at the center of God's will is a really dangerous place to be because <laughs> he sends us out as sheep among wolves. And I don't think we want to think of God like that. I mean, what's God doing exposing his sheep, especially this sheep, to danger? I'm, I'm not strong. I'm not brave. I, I know God wouldn't want to do anything that would damage me, would he? Or upset me or challenge me. He certainly wouldn't want me to have my life in jeopardy, would he? But actually... That's precisely what he asks of us, isn't it? I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Now, our job isn't to take on the wolves, do you, do you notice? No, look at verse 16. He says, we're to be careful and wise, as shrewd as snakes, as innocent as doves. We're not to go out of our way to upset the wolves. And when we are confronted by wolves, we can trust that God will be there at work, however tongue-tied or intimidated we may feel. Verse 19, when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. It will, be, it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And he doesn't send us to the wolves to deal with the wolves. So why does he send us out? And the answer is this, because there are sheep out there amongst the wolves. That's why. Jesus sends sheep, us, to go out amongst the wolves in order to rescue sheep. We don't begin to understand what God is like unless we understand God's incredible, overriding passion for lost people. You see it in Jesus, in his compassion for the crowds back in chapter 9. You see it in the way that he sends out his 12 disciples like sheep among wolves. Above all, you see it in Jesus, sent by the Father who gives his life to rescue sheep.
God is overwhelmingly passionate about reaching sheep. And so he exposes sheep to danger in order to reach sheep. We haven't understood God if we don't understand that. And we haven't understood what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ unless we understand that that is our purpose. It is as a church, not just individuals, as a church to reach lost sheep are out there among the wolves. That's our purpose. And so Jesus says, don't let the wolves stop you doing this. Look at verse 26. Don't be afraid of them. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. They're not going to get away with it, whatever they do to you. Not only that, I want you to publicize the gospel as loudly as you can. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Don't let the wolves intimidate you. And you must do this. Verse 28. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Do you see what he's saying there? Don't be afraid of the wolves, just be afraid of God. What's that mean? I mean, doesn't God love us? What does Jesus mean by saying that we should be afraid of God who can destroy body and soul in hell? What he means is this. God is passionate about his sheep who are amongst the wolves. And he has commissioned his people, us, the church, to go amongst the, sh- the wolves to reach sheep. Woe betide us if we don't do it. This isn't an optional extra. It isn't just something that we can opt in or opt out of. It is what we're called to be as the church and to do. And don't worry, yes, God does care about you. It's not that he cares more about the sheep out there than us. Look at verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care? Even the very hairs of your head are numbered, so you can choose which one you want to be, a sparrow or the hair of a head. Don't be afraid, you're worth more than many sparrows. If God cares about the sparrows and he knows what's happening to them, how much more does he care about you? And remember, it's not the opinion of the wolves in the end that matters at all. It's what Jesus thinks of us and his verdict. Verse 32, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. And whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do you see what I mean about reading the Bible? And We just take words that we know and we make them mean something else. We misunderstand the world sometimes. We misunderstand God, who's sending us out like sheep among wolves. 
And the last one is that we get the gospel wrong sometimes. We get the gospel wrong. The gospel is good news, and we love to say that, don't we? Gospel is good news. But how is it good news? Why is it good news? A number of years ago, a sociologist in the United States with a colleague did some work amongst Christian teenagers. And he then followed, followed that up with a, a, another survey as they moved into emerging adulthood. And then he did it again a bit later. These were Christians from all kinds of churches, including churches like ours. And overwhelmingly, this is what he found. And I think it's alive and well in Sydney churches as well. It goes something like this. You know, for me to be a Christian means, above all, knowing that God's always there for me. So, so, so when life gets hard, I, I know I can reach out to him and uh, he's always there when I need him. Because that's what it means to be a Christian. And that's one of the great comforts of being a Christian. God is just there for me when I need him. And, and, and God wants me to be happy. He, he wants to fulfill the desires of my heart. He's, he's not going to get in the way of the things that I want because he wants me to be happy and fulfilled. And, and I know that I'm not perfect and but, I, but I, I know that if I, I just live a good life, I'll be okay. So what you have is a Christianity that makes us feel good. We have a God who's only there when we need Him. And there are little or no demands of discipleship and obedience. He called it moral therapeutic deism. <laughs> God's there as my therapist. All you need to do is live a good life. And God won't interfere too much unless you call for him when you're in trouble. Now have a look at the words of Jesus. Verse 34. Don't suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. Is, are there any words there you don't understand? <laughs> it's a different world from moral therapeutic deism, though, isn't it? In fact, it's hard to believe that Jesus actually said this. Isn't he the Prince of Peace? Isn't the gospel the message of reconciliation? Isn't it about love? But look at how he goes on. Verse 35, I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A person's enemies will be the members of his own household. Jesus is saying that for some people who become followers of Jesus Christ, it will cost them the things that are most precious to them. He's not saying that's going to happen to everybody, but he is saying it's going to be costly at times, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Why? Why is this the impact of the gospel? 
And the answer is because at the heart of the gospel is repentance and faith. To become a follower of Jesus means to repent and believe. It's about a revolution in a person's life where we give our lives to Jesus Christ and submit to Him as our Lord and Savior and trust Him with the whole of our lives. And wolves don't like that. And they will get really upset when we present that to them and to the people who they manipulate and control. Sometimes becoming a Christian can bring about the most terrible divisions, can break families, create hostility. It can lead to some really, really challenging decisions. Verse 37, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Do you see how that previous gospel I talked about isn't really a gospel at all? It's so different from this. We can be really wrong about the gospel. But you might be saying, well, how is this good news? (laughs) If it can bring a sword, if it can be so costly, well, look at how Jesus goes on in verse 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. When somebody gives their life to Jesus Christ, they discover something that is so amazing, so extraordinary, so life-changing, so life-affirming, that whatever the cost, there is nothing that compares with what Jesus gives to us and however much the pain and however much the uncertainty and the anxiety that it may bring and the heartache it may bring. We've been given a treasure that's greater than anything else. We found life in Jesus. And it's a life that will outlast this life. And here's the thing. When sheep, that is us, Go out amongst the wolves in search of sheep. There are sheep who will respond. When you and I go around Willoughby, when you go around Willoughby or Chatswood or Sydney or wherever it is, I don't want you to be looking at people and thinking wolves. I want you to be thinking they may be sheep. And Jesus has compassion on sheep, and we are here for the sake of the sheep who are lost and amongst the wolves. And as we go in obedience to Christ, there will be amongst them those who receive us and our message and therefore respond to the one we represent. There are sheep out there in Willoughby amongst wolves. And they need us to reach them. Passage ends with a delightful little picture. I want you to imagine that you're back in the first century and you're one of those early disciples and you've been sent out. There's a couple of you. You go together. And you come to a village And the leaders of the village have been really hostile to what you've said about Jesus and the kingdom. 
and they've warned people against you. In fact, they've threatened people if they respond positively to you. You've got a really bad response. But on the outskirts of the village, there's a poor family living in a little house. And they've heard what you've said. And as you've talked about Jesus, something has resonated inside them. And so they invite you into their home. And they don't have much to give you. They don't have much food. They give you a cup of water. They give you what little they can. Well, they want to know more about this. They want to respond to it. It's just a very small response in a way. But I want you to notice what Jesus says. Verse 40, anyone who receives you receives me. And anyone who receives me receives the Father who sent me. We go as representatives of Jesus as if it were Jesus who were amongst them. If you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you'll be given the same reward as a prophet. If you receive righteous people because of their righteousness, you'll be given a reward like this. And then listen to this. And if you give even a cup of water, cold water to one of the least of my followers, you'll surely be rewarded. Here's an encouragement to us that as we go out, there will be people who will respond to us and therefore to Jesus. There are sheep out there and it's an encouragement to sheep so if you're one of those lost sheep and you're here today here's a real encouragement the beginning of a journey with jesus christ of responding to him doesn't have to be something dramatic this little family here just gave of what they had they showed simple hospitality and when people make just a small step towards jesus he will always always respond because he's passionate about lost sheep so how do you get on reading the bible do you find yourself reading it and then somehow reading it differently i send you out as sheep among wolves It's a dangerous place out there. God is passionate about lost sheep. And that may be very costly for some of us. And maybe some of us have got the gospel wrong. As we close, I want to encourage you. Some of you here this morning, you may need to say, Lord, I'm just sorry because I've not been as concerned about lost people as you are. Some of you may need to say, I think actually the gospel I've come to embrace isn't this gospel. I've watered it down. I've changed it to suit me, if I'm honest. And finally, I hope all of us end up being reassured. 
The gospel is good news. It's good news for sheep out there who are currently lost. It's good news for us. Let's go and do it. Let's pray. Father, if we're honest, sometimes we're struck by the seriousness of some of the things the Lord Jesus says. And for some of us, sometimes that catches us off guard. And if we're really honest, we'd like to think he didn't mean what he said. But Father, this business of lost sheep and a world where there are wolves is really, really serious. And Father, you have called us as your people to partner with you in what you're doing. And Father, we can trust you. Father, you care about us infinitely more than even the tiniest parts of your creation. And so, however unequal to the task we may feel, and however fearful we may be, and however concerned we might be about ourselves and our life and what it means for us to be a follower of Jesus. Father, please help us to trust you, to trust what Jesus has done for us and his call on our lives. And Father, may we here at St. Stephen's become more and more the church that you've called us to be. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.